Welcome to a special Mother's Day edition of Zestful Aging. I thought a lot about who would be my guest on Mother's Day, and I struggled with it. It's an important day, and I wanted to get it right. I wanted to celebrate the mother-child bond that is unbreakable, but also capture the profound mixed feelings that can be present as both the child and the mother. And I wanted to honor the relationship, but acknowledge that it can be very fraught as well. Motherhood is a complicated subject. As mothers, we love intensely beyond what words can really describe. I remember standing beside my son's crib when he was a newborn and literally trembling with love. As mothers, we sacrifice ourselves and experience heartbreak that sometimes feels unhealable. I struggled with how to bring this spectrum of emotions to light and do this special day justice. That is until I interviewed Darlene Endy and Carolyn DeSocio about each of their son's addiction to heroin. Wait until you hear the story Darlene tells about weaving cloth to make her son's shirt. Yes, that's me in the interview, trying not to cry. You'll also learn about Darlene's foundation, Road to Recovery, CNY. Darlene and her husband started the charity to help fund treatment for individuals with opioid addictions. Take a look on RoadToRecoveryCNY.com. I'd love to hear your comments, questions, and feedback, especially about today's special episode. And thank you for your continued support and enthusiasm of the podcast. I'd be most grateful if you take a moment to like, share, and rate it. That way more people can find it and hear more interviews like the one you're about to hear today. And now, here's your Mother's Day edition of Zestful Aging. Today, we have a really special episode. We are talking to Darlene Endy and Carolyn DeSocio. Did I get that right? Mm-hmm. And uh, you may hear some dog chewing in the background, <laughs> so that is fine. But we're talking about a really relevant social topic and a very difficult one, and that is heroin addiction. And I want to introduce you to two women who know all about that. The first one is Darlene Endy, and she's had careers as a nutritionist, a mom of triplets, and she is currently a fiber artist specializing in weaving. But she says her most important role has been as the CEO of a foundation she and her husband started called Road to Recovery CNY, and that's Central New York. Its purpose is to fund long-term treatment for opioid addiction, focusing on central New York residents who cannot afford it themselves. And they were inspired to start this when their own son became sober from a heroin addiction and their insurance would not pay for treatment. 
Fortunately, they were able to pay out of pocket, but they realized that most people cannot afford to pay and often exhaust their insurance benefits with previous admissions. So they wanted to share the hope and healing that they had found. Welcome, Darlene and Carolyn. Thank you for having us, Nicole. This is a really difficult uh, subject, um, and you know, it's all over. We're just hearing about it in every aspect of the media. Is there a place, Darlene, that you would like to start in terms of describing uh, your journey with your son's heroin addiction? Sure. Um, I think like most families, I really wasn't uh, familiar with what addiction looks like and what kind of impact that it can have on not just the individual, but their entire family and community. Um, but um, my son developed an addiction in his 20s, and we realized, of course, um, what something was going on, and eventually we realized that it was heroin. But as a parent, uh, you don't have control over another person's actions. You try to be a good parent and supportive and reassure them that you love them, but you cannot stop them from using until they're ready to stop. And that, that is a living hell. You know, watching your child suffer, suffer and struggle like that. My, husband, my son was using so much that he wasn't even eating anymore and had gotten down to 145 pounds. So, and he's over six feet tall. So it was, it was very painful. But... Fortunately, he knew that we loved him. When he was ready for treatment, he came to us and asked for help. He'd been in treatment before, but those programs didn't really have much of an impact on his addiction. Uh, in retrospect, we feel like they were too short to really make a difference for him. Mm -hmm. And furthermore, a person who has treatment for addiction, especially heroin, needs more time to recover and practice some new coping skills and life skills before they really re-enter society. So we sent him to a more long-term type treatment program. And um, while he was there, he, he really was healed from the inside out. It was, uh, it was amazing. When I went to visit him the first time, I didn't even recognize him. Not just because he had put on some weight, but there was just this, this, this light emanating from him. You know, a healthy, peaceful glow that I had not seen in my son for, for a really long time. So what, can you sort of take us through this process where your son was in his early 20s, right? Is that what you said? When, when he started. When he started. And so all of a sudden you're noticing what his behavior is erratic. He's... Uh, has a hard time keeping a job, has uh, attitude, um, really impatient with the people around him. And then if you look closely, you start to see paraphernalia. Um, it must have been so hard to accept that this was going on. It was. I mean, we're a typical family, you know. Um, my husband is a physician, and I have a medical background as well. We have a loving home. You know, we, we just thought we had done all the right things to ensure that our kids would be successful. And... Uh, unfortunately, this is one one drug that it doesn't take a whole lot to become addicted to, and uh, and the rest goes out the window. I mean, they lose they lose everything. They lose their relationships. He lost his 
girlfriend. He's lost numerous jobs and almost lost his life. He overdosed at least twice that I know of, but was brought back with Narcan in the ER. Carolyn, do you want to talk about your story? Does it is it similar to Darlene's? It's almost well, a mirror image almost. Um, my son Thomas, um, when I became aware of his addiction to heroin, um, I knew he had done, uh, you know, smoked pot and had maybe done Xanax, you know, a few years ago. But heroin, I had no idea. Um, and then when I finally realized something was so very wrong, um, he was sick, you know, kind of all the time, tired, didn't want to get up out of bed, the same kind of thing, had jobs, couldn't keep a job, and uh, very irritable. And uh, when I just saw him last Christmas, um, he had overdosed um, four times. Um, and I'd asked Thomas, I said, you know, did you want to live or, do you, or did you want to die out of those times? And he said, I, I wanted to die um, because he was embarrassed. He was ashamed of what he'd become. Mm -hmm. He'd let the family down, and I, I just didn't know where to turn. And I went to dark places to help him um, when he was sick. I went to homes on not so very nice end of town to get him some kind of medication or help to get him through that sickness. Because you're and, a mother, of course and, you would. You know, I'm sitting there thinking, what am I doing? What mm -hmm. am I, I have to get him some help. And I brought him to upstate and um, saw Dr. Ross Sullivan there. And I met a peer specialist who told me about Darlene's um, program and foundation. And um, she said, I will advocate for Thomas to go to the treatment because I couldn't. My family were middle class, you know, we've got four children. Um, I could never afford. Uh, Thomas had gone in and out of treatment three or four times. So the Just, insurance was exhausted. Is that sort of what yeah, happens? Yeah, typically? and in two weeks and three weeks, it does not. It doesn't do anything. Um, and um, so um, this person I met up at Upstate advocated for Thomas to go to um, Road to Recovery Foundation and. And that's when this lady changed our lives and saved my son's life. So mm. she has, she's my guardian angel. Oh, she's my son's my guardian day. angel. And mm -hmm. I, there's no way that I can ever repay. But I just want to say that I was probably guilty of the stigma of, you know, seeing these young kids on the street begging or whatever. Mm -hmm. And as I said to Darlene, I've stopped and given them five dollars, no one probably where they'll go off to and mm -hmm. do it. But I never really looked at that person until it hits you. It hits you in the gut. And when you see your child struggling, you will do anything, anything to get help. Because you know what's inside that person. You know what your child is. You know mm -hmm. he's a loving, kind human being and you want to get that back. And this lady has brought that back for my son. And he's still work. He's a work in progress, but he's doing very well. Uh, we did visit him, and like Darlene, when you see him the first time, it's like, wow, 
And you, my son, like, <laughs> where did you come from? And I, I see you coming back, and it's just, it's just wonderful. It's just wonderful. So this program, this foundation has brought not my son back to this point, but our family. Um, it tears the family apart, and, and, and just the happiness that we all feel for him. It's, it's, just, it's just been wonderful. Wonderful. You can sleep at night, yes. not worrying if the, the if your son yeah. is alive or dead. Exactly. Because you know he's in a good place. Exactly. And that you just can't buy that kind of peace. Yep. Exactly. But every person that we've sent down there has that kind of a story. You know, mm-hmm. uh, society sees them as disposable, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. And uh, a lot of times the attitude is, well, you get what you deserve. Mm-hmm. You know, you made that choice. Mm-hmm. Well, let me tell you something. Nobody chooses to be an addict. Mm-hmm. Nobody would ever choose that hell because mm-hmm. you don't get high. I mean, maybe the first few times you do feel euphoric. But once you're addicted, you're using just so that you don't become violently ill. Your mm-hmm. life revolves around getting the next fix so that you're not sick. And they, mm-hmm. they live their lives trying to cover it up because they're so ashamed of their behavior. They know it's not what they want or what their family wants for them. Mm-hmm. But at that point in time, they it's a disease. They don't have control. And I was talking to a mom the other day. She was like, I just don't understand why my son or daughter doesn't choose to get better. And I told them they can't choose. They can't choose. They This disease has a hold of them and they mm-hmm. can't get loose from it. Mm-hmm. You know, unfortunately it seems like a waiting game for them to get to the place where their life is so unbearable Mm -hmm. that they're willing to enter a treatment program and and get better. But that's a long and painful road. And sometimes people don't make it. Mm -hmm. Sometimes they overdose before that happens. Mm -hmm. So it's so, it's so important that we get people into treatment as soon as we can. And, um, and why I started road to recovery is because, you know, we, we help as many people as we can out of our own money out of our own pocket but there are so many people who need help and we we can't help all of them by ourselves Mm -hmm. so we we started this foundation to raise money because it's unfortunately there are so many people out there we lose almost a person almost every day in this county to overdose that's how prevalent that is and that's just the overdoses there are many more people struggling with addiction Mm -hmm. that you don't know about because it's kept undercover yeah i mean i'm I'm sort of speechless here for a minute. I'm trying, as a mother, I'm just trying to imagine, you know, what you've both been uh, been through. And, you know, this idea of just, you know, is he going to make it or is he not? And living that way, I, it just must be, um, it's, it's hard to find the right word. Every time that you say goodbye, you mm-hmm. wonder if, that, if you'll ever see them alive again. Mm-hmm. So you go through their death, really, in your mind every mm-hmm. single day. Some every kind time of you acceptance, almost some kind of weird idea that I can't control this. That's right. Um, you want to talk a little bit more about, I know you have a big event coming up for Road to Recovery. Darlene, do you want to talk a little bit about that? Sure. Well, we're having a tennis tournament at Drumlin's Tennis, tennis Club. 
on um, June 2nd and 3rd. And uh, we're also having a silent auction. So for people who don't play tennis, they can swing by anytime and bid on some items. We've got some really beautiful things that have been donated. In fact, my husband, who uh, whose hobby is stained glass, is making a big stained glass window to sell. So if you don't come for any other reason, you should definitely check that out. <laughs> but we're also having a concert October the 13th at uh, May Memorial um, Unitarian Universalist mm. Church, which is going to feature Lauren Berger and the Cadleys. So they're very popular local uh, musicians that are going to be performing for us that donated their time and talent. Mm -hmm. So um, we may have some other things coming up, but the way to find out about all that, obviously, is, is to like us on Facebook because I'm going to update everybody on our Facebook page, and it's called Road to Recovery CNY, so mm -hmm. they can find out what's going on. So your life has really changed, not only uh, as a mom uh, with with a son with a going through addiction, but it sounds like you're spending an awful lot of time now with this foundation. Yes. Uh, yes. I had no idea it was going to turn out like this, mm -hmm. but I can't turn my back. Once I say I'm going to do something, I, I have to do it. So I do spend a lot of time, not just on fundraising, but also in reaching out to people who might need help. You know, I get contacts through our website, parents who are struggling, people who are thinking about going into treatment, and I, I have to interact with all of those people. And just this past week, we got two people into treatment, which is huge. But what it takes to make that happen is an enormous amount of time because they have to be screened by our board. They have to be voted on by the board. I have to arrange for playing fair. I have to um, get money into the foundation from sponsors and out of the foundation to the treatment center. And this all has to happen within like a week. So it's, it's very high pressure. And are, are there, <clears throat> the clinical term, I guess, beds available? I mean, are, when you're ready to send somebody, is there a problem with waiting lists as well? Well, that's a good point because I think in the central New York area, that is a huge problem. If you can get in, it's for too short of a treatment. <clears throat> so the other part of why we do what we do is the program that my son attended is a 90-day treatment plan followed by 90 days of sober living. And that gives a person six months to not only become sober, but learn how to stay sober. They connect them with the community. They help them get a sponsor. They have their people that they sponsor. They have a job. They're supporting themselves. And they really create a whole new life for themselves. They aren't just kicked out the door after treatment. Mm -hmm. um, the program that my son went through... Um, is very similar to some other programs in the area. And a couple of weeks ago, I went down and I interviewed those other programs. So now we have a pool of four programs that we can send them to. So I don't think having an empty bed is going to be an issue. Furthermore, because they believe in what we're doing, they give me the treatment at cost. So that's that's like a 50% reduction in, in, in what they charge, just because they know mm -hmm. that I'm not asking for myself. My son is already well. Mm -hmm. I'm asking for these other people who can't ask for help. Mm -hmm. So I think that's huge. It brings the price down of what it takes to send somebody into treatment way down. It sounds to me like in addition to going through this and becoming an expert, you're becoming an expert in a whole new realm that you may <laughs> not have anticipated. I guess so. I, I don't think fundraising is my 
strength, but my husband bought me two books about it for Mother's Day, so I guess I got, <laughs> I guess I, I guess I'm gonna learn. <laughs> At least it wasn't a vacuum cleaner, right? <laughs> the old Archie Bunker special. Yeah, yeah. Carolyn, I'm I'm curious. Besides Darlene, who's obviously been such an important person in your life. Were you able to talk to your other friends or family about this and get support? Um, I have wonderful friends who um, knew everything that I was going through with Thomas. Um, But there is other people I know that are struggling and won't open up about it because of this stigma. And that's what we have to change. Probably, if the truth be known, um, everybody knows somebody that is struggling some way or another. Mm So to talk about it, to bring it out there, we have to get the support. There are so many people needing help. Um, So we really, really need some sponsors for this Road to Recovery CNY Foundation. Because without it, I would probably say I would have buried my son by Christmas. Mm. Yeah. So it's it's truly important, and I'm truly blessed. And Darlene, is, she's just been so wonderful. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you have any thoughts about how this epidemic came to be? I, I don't. I, I guess I I was really ignorant about this until it actually came into my house. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I was going along, my kids were doing, you know, normal kid things. Um, and I never, ever thought I would be living this nightmare. Because it's a nightmare. Oh, it, it is oh, a nightmare. Um, and I, I have no idea. But it, it's, it's so bad in the Syracuse area. It has to be known how bad it is and how much help is needed. Um you know, I sent my son for two weeks there, and then you go, they send you back out, find some sponsors, find some meetings, but there's no real help. There's uh, no structure. There's no it structure. Like... Uh, it's just you, you basically fly by the seat of your pants when you're out mm-hmm. from this, uh, you know, two weeks, three weeks, which is nothing. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is why this program, uh, this 90-day um, mm-hmm. You know, they, he's learned a lot about himself, Thomas has, in these mm-hmm. 90 days. And it's not just the addiction. It's a lot of issues deep within um, mm-hmm. that helps him cope with life. You know, young kids are struggling. Um, they're struggling these days. And mm-hmm. um, I think this program, the 90-day program, and then the Sober Living program, is it's vital. It's vital for these kids so they can live and enjoy the life that was given them because... They're too young to be wasted. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What is the name of the hospital that you're recommending? Well, that's interesting you ask that question because it's not a hospital at all. And that's mm-hmm. one of the things that I really like about it. It's a home-like setting. Mm-hmm. So the treatment is in a house, in a suburb. They go mm-hmm. to meetings at other homes in different neighborhoods. All of the programs that I've looked at are like that. So they're not like an institution. Okay. They're very... Even if it is... Um, like a couple of the places are out in the country, they're not a house, they're more like a dorm. 
Mm-hmm. Um, but it's not an institutional setting. They, they'll cook their own meals. They clean their own uh, environment. You know, mm-hmm. there's animals that live there. Mm-hmm. So I like that. And um, I forgot the original question. What was that? <laughs> is there a name that people... Oh, yeah. BRC Recovery is the main facility. Mm-hmm. We've started using also uh, Nova Recovery Center. Mm-hmm. And um, we haven't used yet, but I've looked at the last resort. Mm-hmm. All of oh, those I can good. recommend as being really good programs. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of people who are struggling with addiction feel horrible about themselves. And on top of that, if they go anywhere for treatment, they're treated horribly. Mm-hmm. The medical community is the worst. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I hear stories from my husband that just make me cringe. Mm-hmm. The attitudes. You know, why should we Why should we give that this treatment to this um, person who's an addict? They're just going to go out and use again. Horrible. Like, I'm sure they would not deny treatment for somebody with diabetes. Mm-hmm. I'm sure they would make sure they had the surgery that they need. So what if they're going to go out and eat a candy bar afterwards, mm-hmm. right? They would still provide that care and compassion and treatment, but not so with people with addiction. It's like and they're it's, less of humans. They're not somebody. even human. They're mm-hmm. not even considered human. And it's horrible and shameful. Those people should be ashamed of themselves. But I can say that because I've already been through it. I have no more shame anymore. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> you know? And so uh, I think once you've been through it, that you, you see things so completely differently. I mean, just like Caroline was saying, these are not disposable people. These are not men under the bridge. Mm-hmm. These are our sons and our daughters. Mm-hmm. And they have value. And, and they have a future, or they can have a future, and contribute to society. They'll be taxpayers. They'll be somebody else's mom and dad. Mm-hmm. You know, they have a lot of good qualities to share if they have that opportunity to get better. Mm-hmm. So you're talking about bringing more compassion to treatment. Absolutely. Certainly. Yes, yes. Yeah. One of the things that we've started that it's brand new that I wanted to tell you about, because even though we've got the price reduced, it's still a lot of money. Mm-hmm. Um, and generally speaking, most people can't afford to make that kind of a donation. So we've started a program whereby community groups, churches, lions clubs, businesses can actually sponsor an individual. And what that means is they make the donation for the treatment. We match them with a recipient. Mm -hmm. And the recipient signs a release form. So the treatment programs we send them to put out a weekly report on their progress. Basically, it talks about how they're working through the 12 steps, what they did well that week, what they struggled with. And it gives that person, the sponsor, an insight into what recovery really looks like. It's not turning a switch. It's not learning why drugs are bad for you. It's finding out about yourself and what makes you tick and what your problems are and how can you deal with it differently. And it gives them an opportunity to send cards of encouragement to the person in treatment. The person in treatment can send back a thank you card or whatever and form a relationship with someone that they don't know. But it's so different from writing a check for you know, some charity where you know they're going to use it for a good cause, but maybe it's for a cancer cure 50 years from now. Mm -hmm. This is, this is, uh, this is saving someone's life right now. And to me, it's a bargain price, you know, (laughs) for $27,000, you can save a life and that person will forever be in debt to you. Mm -hmm. So who would not want to do that? Mm -hmm. My goodness. You know, I'm, I'm, listening to your voice raise and talk about the shame. And I imagine part of this process as a mom, having so many different feelings, like 
you know, the anger at why are you letting these um, people fly by the seat of their pants when you know this is an adequate treatment. Um, and maybe even anger at our community for not providing um, resources. I don't, I don't know what it is, but I imagine that it's not only the grief that there's a lot of layers of yeah. what, you know, where's our country going with this? What's our attitude? Why aren't we getting more resources? Do you want to talk and about some of the mixed feelings? Even the money that gets allocated, you know, whenever somebody makes an announcement of funding, the funding goes into the same old thing, the same kinds of programs that, that aren't working in the first place, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. They don't try anything new. One of the things... Other things that I'm really working on is to get some sober homes set up in the Syracuse area because people finish their treatment. They don't have a place to live where they can be somewhat protected from that influence. Mm. They can have a job, but they sleep there at night. They have a curfew. They have random drug testing. And they don't have to worry about their roommate bringing in some kind of drug to tempt them with, right? Mm -hmm. It gives them a chance to start to develop those new healthy habits and, and begin building a new life. But the ones that we have already... There's always a waiting list for. We need new sober homes, but how do you get one? Well, you have to convince people to let you put one of those in their neighborhood. And now we're back to the stigma again mm -hmm. and the struggle with getting people to, to work with you on that. With the zoning laws that prohibit you from having more than X number of people in a house. So you're banging your head against there's the wall. so many barriers to trying to make things better if we want to see this epidemic stop we have to stop shaming people we have to make treatment available and help them get to it and we have to create an environment when they get discharged that is conducive to being well and right now we don't have that in this area there's there's not things for people to do that are sober I mean, think about it. When you were in your 20s, I don't know about you, but pretty much all that there was for us to do was go to a bar, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Well, that's not a good idea if you're yeah. an addict because yeah. you need to abstain from alcohol and drugs because mm -hmm. it triggers the same things in your brain. So what are, the pe what are these people doing that come back home for fun? How do it's they meet really other people who are sober? Fail. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Do you feel as though your relationship neither of you can answer this, with your your sons has, has changed over this process? Well, um, well, Thomas is still very early in recovery, but just from my recent visit with him, um, I could see a peace in him. Um, I could see that he saw a future for himself. There was hope. There was hope, which... <clears throat> He had lost that. He had lost that before he he went for treatment. Um, so I, I guess just seeing that hope and seeing him with hope uh, was just wonderful, wonderful to see. Mm -hmm. And that's and that's what we need. That's what we need for all these other people struggling. We need we need hope because two weeks and back out in. You're kind of back into the same old routine. With the same with friends. With the same friends. Um, and, you know, the boredom and, you know, you need structure. So this is we need. We need sober living. That was my thing with Thomas. I, after three weeks in a, a facility in Albany, which was horrendous, it was like an institute. Um, 
but he at least it was three weeks of sobriety that's the way he looked at it and we looked at it but then coming out of that uh you you said okay bring him to this halfway house in syracuse i go there i packed up all these things oh no we have no bed so i bring him back home um and there we sit and wait so you make calls, you plead, and you beg, please, is there a bed somewhere? And it, it just, it's like a vicious cycle, you know. Um, and and that's why this program here is just so different. Even me, myself, the sense that I have received from this program that my son is in, um, it's, it has given me such peace to know that my son is safe and getting mm-hmm. better. Mm-hmm. And he will have life, and I believe that he will mm-hmm. have a good life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I have a much closer relationship with my son since he became sober. Mm-hmm. He um, he considers it's part of his um, making making amends mm-hmm. to stay in touch with his dad and I, because he knows how much we worried about him and how much we love him, mm-hmm. and to not hear about him, the first thing you think. When you're a mom and your son or daughter is is an early recovery, is if I haven't heard from them, they must be using again. Mm-hmm. It's horrible, but that's the that's your default thought. And to if you call your call them and you can't get a hold of them, you start to worry. So my son has made a point of any time I text or call him, he gets back to me usually within twelve hours, if not twenty four. Mm-hmm. I gotta say, my other two kids don't. They just don't bother, okay? <laughs> but he he understands where that's coming from. And we try to respect his privacy. We're not harassing him. But when I spend time with my son, it is quality time. He is happy to be with me. I went to visit him a couple of weeks ago, and, and I said, you know, I, I can spend Sunday with you. I have these other things I have to do. And I know you've got stuff to do. So you want to meet like around lunchtime, or do you have, you know, Mom, I want to spend as much time as I can with you. I was like, whoa, I've never heard that before. (laughs) My mother doesn't want to hear that, right? (laughs) So for his one-year sobriety date, I was so very proud of him for reaching that milestone because it's a struggle. It's a struggle to get well and to stay well. I am a weaver, so I um, wove some cloth and I sewed a shirt for him and I sent it to him as his gift. And I told him, Mm -hmm. I prayed about you. The whole time I was weaving this, this this shirt Mm -hmm. is full of prayer Mm -hmm. and he wears it all the time. Mm -hmm. So I had some scraps left over and I decided I'm going to make something for myself. So I made myself a vest. And when I went down to visit him in Texas, I wore my vest and he wore his shirt. And I know it's really corny, but it made me feel so good. It was like we were bound together, you know, between these things that I had woven and, and the pieces that were left were the pieces that made up me. And that's kind of a metaphor for being a mom anyway, yeah. isn't yeah. it? The pieces that are left over are the pieces that you take. Yeah. And I'm yeah. grateful to have them. Yeah. Oh. oh, my goodness. Do you want to talk about spirituality and... And how that might have played a role in getting through this? I do, because we asked our son, obviously, we don't we don't know what it's like to have an addiction. We don't know what it's like to go through treatment. And when he did so much better from this program, we asked him, what, what made the difference with this son? What was it? He said, it's because the other programs did not address the spiritual malady within. He This time, he went through a 12-step program. And he felt like it made the world a difference for him. He has a relationship now with his creator. And and it doesn't matter whether you're Christian or not. You just have to recognize that there is a higher power and that you submit to that. You don't have to run the whole show. Mm -hmm. And that brings so much peace to people. Mm 
that I think that spirituality is sorely lacking in our um, in our uh, country. Even though we have plenty of churches, we we don't have enough people who really are connected in with with their spirituality. And I think there's even a suspicion about other countries version of spirituality. I heard somebody the other day say, you know, they were afraid that yoga and meditation was like practicing of another religion or something. And it was against Christianity. I'm like, what? <laughs> like, I hope not. Cause I do yoga and meditate all the time. <laughs> I don't think that's affected my faith. If anything, it made it better. Yeah. Right. Cause I'm spending time with God. So yes, I think that that's honestly, I think that's part of why we have some of the problems that we have in our culture is because we just, We've denied that part of ourselves. It's 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 as real as being having a physical body that you have a spiritual side too. And yet, in our culture, we just don't know how to deal with that or address or even recognize it. And so, I think a lot of people are are lacking there. I remember, and I hope I'm not misquoting this, but the famous Buddhist teacher Thich Nhat Hanh talking about hungry ghosts that he sees, particularly Americans, with sort of this blank look, like there's not enough filling them up from the inside. Mm. Um, and that causes a lot of behaviors that are, well, you really get us into mm. trouble trying to fill that up. Yeah. Mm -hmm. oh, what yeah. what yeah. about for you, Carolyn? Was spirituality an aspect of this for you? Well, I um, was born and raised in Ireland, so we had the Catholic Irish guilt <laughs> when it came to going to church. Mm -hmm. uh, we did that, but... I found through this um, experience with my son that to let go, um, I had to let him go um, and just really, I really just let him go to God. Basically, I put him in God's hand because I knew I had no control, but it took me a long time to get to that point because I wanted to fix everything like any mother does. You want to fix everything in any way you can to help your son or your daughter, whoever the person may be. So um, letting go for me was very hard, but I found when I did, I had so much peace. I had so much peace because he was in good hands, you know. Just like this is too big for me it's and too I, big. Need, yes. I need some help I need here. to just give it up and let somebody take care of this for me. Mm-hmm. Well, it was, I mean, it's God for me, you know. That's And I talk to him all the time, day and night. Mm -hmm. It's me again. <laughs> <laughs> again and again. <laughs> Sorry to yeah. bother you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Is there any, anything, any last message you'd like to share, um, particularly for other moms that are going through this experience? I think it's important to to, uh, to start with what Caroline just said. You, you have to come to an acceptance of what's going on mm -hmm. and disengage yourself somewhat. You know, it's not your addiction. And um, you cannot live your life trying to manage your, your son or daughter's life. And that bit of separation not only brings peace, but I think it helps to speed the healing process for the son or the daughter as well, to separate mm -hmm. yourself from that. And I think the other thing that you need to do is, is to get prepared because mm -hmm. when the day comes that they want treatment, you don't have a lot of time. It's a short window. Mm -hmm. So find out where you would want to send them. Will your insurance cover it? If they don't have insurance, get it for them. Put them back mm -hmm. on your policy if they're young enough. And then 
start meeting with other people who are going through the same thing. Go to an AA meeting or an NA meeting and find some other parents that you can talk with because that will help you to get some perspective. Mm -hmm. Too many parents that I talk to are so wrapped up in their child's addiction that they don't even live their own life. I know mm -hmm. one woman told me her mother's sick and she's afraid to even go visit her because she doesn't want to leave mm -hmm. the addicted child behind in case mm -hmm. something happens. Right. As if there was anything you could do to change that, you know, mm -hmm. although I understand how she feels. I would feel mm -hmm. the same way. Mm -hmm. Right. But you you do have to have a little bit of, of separation in order to have peace, I think. Mm -hmm. and, and that there, at some point, you know, as you said, there's not that much you can do to, to make them better. Right. There's a lot you can do to make them worse. Mm -hmm. I know somebody who buys the drugs for them because they don't want them to prostitute themselves in order to get the drugs. Mm -hmm. I get that, mm -hmm. but it's also, it just seems like a really bad idea. Mm -hmm. Like a really bad idea. Mm -hmm. I wish I had a magic answer. I wish I could say, do this and, and everything will get better. But I don't think anybody knows the answer mm -hmm. to that. And it varies from person to person. Mm -hmm. The other thing people can do is start to advocate, you know, mm -hmm. speak up when you mm -hmm. hear about somebody, even if it's your neighbors talking, mm -hmm. you know, and they're, and they're talking bad about somebody with addiction, speak up and correct them, change mm -hmm. attitudes yourself, mm -hmm. vote for people who are, who are taking them, uh, in public office, who are taking this seriously and who are making changes that are going to actually help people instead mm -hmm. of just make them look good. Mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. um, go to, go to, uh, public um, demonstrations, for example, make your voice heard. There's so many ways to get involved. Of course, you can always send money to Road Recovery CNY because mm -hmm. we're going to turn right around and send somebody to treatment with it. Mm -hmm. So, and this um, Saturday, um, we do have a walk, um, a heroin walk down. Um, anybody wants to join us, it's uh, this Saturday, I think it's the 12th, right? At 10 a.m., we'll meet um, in front of the town city hall. City hall. Mm -hmm. yeah. So well, it's just a short walk down to Clinton Square. So it'll be a good, nice sunny day and good for a walk. And let's spread the word. <laughs> I imagine there'll be some comfort also in seeing who else is there and yeah. connecting with yeah. them. I think that's the whole point, to see that there are a lot of people yeah. who are struggling with this. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So anybody out there struggling, don't be ashamed. Ask for help. Talk to anybody. Don't don't keep it within. It's nothing to be ashamed of. Um, and it's not just, your fault as no. a parent. No. It's not your fault. No. I think that's the hard part. Right. Is thinking that it is your fault and you, so you're ashamed of that. Right. Yeah. 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 Let it out. I so appreciate you talking to us today. I think that a lot of our listeners will um, really benefit from hearing the inside scoop. If they don't already, they haven't experienced it themselves. This is such an important topic. So I, I just so appreciate your sharing your um, so honestly and openly about your boys and, and how it is to be a mom of of a child with a heroin addiction. Um, I uh, just wanted to repeat again, and I'll put it in the show notes, but it's Road 2, number 2, Recovery, CNY, Central New York. And we will have some of the other links in the show notes. 
And um, thank you so much again. Thanks thank for you, having Nicole. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining me on Zestful Aging Mother's Day Edition. I hope you enjoyed hearing about Darlene and Carolyn's experience as mothers in the most difficult time possible and the foundation Darlene has created to help more addicts receive the treatment they desperately need. Please do me a favor and subscribe, comment, and rate me on iTunes. Rating this show really does help others find it. I love hearing from my listeners. Send me an email at NicoleChristina.com and tell me what you'd like to hear more about. Want more zest? Head over to NicoleChristina.com where you can find my companion online course, Zestful Aging, Simple and Sustainable Habits for Health and Longevity. See you next time on a new edition of Zestful Aging.